Thanks for clicking play on the latest episode of the Iowa Revolution podcast. I'm Spencer Dirks alongside my friend, Dr. Bob Leonard. How you doing, Dr. Bob? Great. Beautiful weather. Had some rain. It was a blessing. Yeah, almost an inch of rain, at least in Knoxville. So it's nice to actually get a little bit of moisture. It's been dry as hell. Right. The creeks were running for a little bit there. That was nice. Weather's going to stay nice all the way through the week, so that'll be nice and something to look forward to. we got plenty of stuff to talk about on the podcast today. First of all, I did want to mention that you were published in Time Magazine, or at least Time.com, a piece about immigration. Right, and it was done with a woman uh, from Washington, D.C. think tank, uh, Christina DePena, with the Niskanen Institute, and it's uh, she's really good. She's got the policy. Uh, I had the basic frame for the story. Time Magazine loved it. It was the first time something's been picked up within 15 minutes of me sending it in. They just loved it. Um, Kevin Kincaid with the Knoxville Hospital and Clinics helps, uh, helped us frame the discussion on why we need immigrants for health care, and it's or we're facing as we age, dire futures if we don't have uh, more immigrants helping us with, uh, you know, to live with dignity in our last years. It's And plus, it's we need immigrants everywhere. Just people don't, sometimes it's pol- on the right, it's politically difficult for them to work for immigration reform. And so much of it is couched in racism and xenophobia when it's, truly a matter of life and death for a lot of communities in Iowa and throughout the Midwest especially. Towns are literally dying off and there's nobody there to care for them. Right, right. It's a a big problem. We laid it all out. Just go to time.com, search Robert Leonard. Um, It's got good response. I also um, spoke with uh, Matt Thompson, who's uh, head of Indian Hills in Ottumwa, and he was... He told me how quickly they can gear up to train people in the healthcare industry and virtually every industry. And and he says, we have to look to the immigrant population to help solve our problems. One other note right off the bat that I wanted to mention was the Okaboji Writers Retreat starts this weekend. I believe Sunday is when it starts, when everybody gets into town and you're going to be taking part in that. So pretty happy for you to be able to go to that again. Yeah, it's a wonderful thing that it's stress-free. Everybody just wants to write and talk about writing. People don't talk about politics. It's just writing and people, just a bunch of storytellers and some of the best in the entire world. And so if people ever get a chance to go to it, Julie Gamak is the person that pulled it together, former Des Moines registered columnist, and she's just delightful, works very hard. And and I made a lot of friends last year and looking forward to seeing them again. Some very interesting people there. So yeah, we will be taking next week off. You'll be there Sunday through Thursday, so we'll take next week off just because you won't be around, but we'll certainly get a recap from you in the next podcast and how that went and all the new friends that you've managed to make in Okaboji. Yeah, it's sort of weird. It's sort of like camp when you were kids, only without all the weird kid drama. It's just (laughs) you're there, you know, you get a cabin and you're on the lake and you're fed and 
comforted, and it's a lot of fun. One thing, too, that's really cool, because I read Julie Gamick, she sent out an email kind of previewing the event and just how much work goes into it. But one thing that's really cool is that 30% of the participants have scholarships. So their trip to Okaboji is covered through the Iowa Writers Collaborative, which you're a part of. So if you want to subscribe to the Iowa Writers Collaborative, that does do a lot of work for up-and-coming artists and writers. Right. Julie offered a scholarship to a budding, very good Knoxville High School student who's a very fine writer, but his other commitments to school didn't let him go. But, you know, so he had to pass on it. Maybe some other year he can go. But, yeah, there's scholarships available, and it's it's really, really cool. So let's get into uh, what we're going to be talking about today. First of all, we've been talking and been hearing for many years that Iowa's bridges are basically shit. Brenna Bird is trying to prevent people from getting access to official voting forms in other languages. So we'll talk about that. That's been quite a bit of a stir over the past few weeks. I just got an email this morning from casinos.com about what Iowa residents think of as their lucky number, their lucky color. So we'll kind of talk about that. Also in Cock Talk, it's funny because last week we were saying that there really wasn't a whole lot of caucus news last week. And literally right when I get home from recording the podcast, I see that Trump is going to be at the Cyhawk game. Uh, Ramaswamy is going to be there, DeSantis, etc. So we'll kind of recap how that went during the Cyhawk game. Also just an update on what the polls are looking at. It's been a little while since we've updated those polls. So we'll take a look at And to be honest, there's really not a whole lot of change in the past several weeks. Also, there's now an impeachment inquiry into President Biden and his son, so we'll discuss that. Thought this was kind of interesting. We're in the middle of September, or at least almost the middle of September, so it's getting to be the spooky season. Halloween is coming up soon, so there's a little bit of news about the movie Halloween, so we'll discuss that. And I want to save a decent amount of time at the end because last week you wanted me to pick the top five Iowa governors of all time, and I did a decent amount of research and look through at different accomplishments and what some of the governors are known for. And I think I've got a pretty unimpeachable top five. So we'll see whether or not you agree with me. You're smiling. But uh, yeah, I think it's a pretty solid top five. Well, I was very impressed by your research. As you know, I don't do any research <laughs> yeah, anymore. Right. But, you know, so no, it was very good. And we, we uh, agree uh, largely. Um, I think we'll probably agree on the worst governors, too. I would imagine that would probably be a lot more aligned than even the top five. So we'll start off. This is from WQAD-TV. A new report shows Iowa is the number one state in the country for structurally deficient bridges, with some of the most concerning being in eastern Iowa. The concerning bridges include the Edgewood Road Bridge over the Cedar River in Cedar Rapids and the Highway 1 Bridge over the Iowa River in Iowa City. According to the American Road and Transportation Builders Association, the Centennial Bridge connecting Davenport and Rock Island is the most traveled structurally deficient bridge in the state. The Interstate 280 Bridge in that area is the number two spot. A bridge is structurally deficient when the driving surface or other support pieces are in poor or worse conditions. But despite the rankings, officials say drivers should not be worried. Quote, if there is any concern about safety in the traveling public, they will either post a bridge for load, which means they'll restrict the weight, or maybe truck traffic that crosses the bridge, or in extreme cases, they may shut down a lane or the entire bridge. That's from Chief Economist Allison Black. 
Officials say many cities may struggle to raise the money for necessary repairs, especially in rural areas. The report says nearly 15,000 bridges across Iowa need some sort of improvement. In Illinois, that number is just over 4,000. It's a lot of bridges. 15,000, I mean, that's got to be damn near every single bridge in the state of Iowa. Yeah, there's yeah, lots of problems. Uh, the Reynolds administration has done virtually nothing with it. The um, gas tax that we imposed a few years ago that people I don't think really noticed has helped some, but um, we know President Trump did nothing for infrastructure during his term. So we're behind. It's something that you need systematically you know, to work with, you know, to approach it. And I know that uh, in our counties and our general area, the county engineers work very hard to try to have a process in place where the replacements continue. But it, it's, uh, people don't like to invest in existing infrastructure for right. some reason. And so, but we absolutely need to. Yeah, one thing that my girlfriend, Jesse, and I were talking about, we went to Des Moines a few days ago, and they've been working on one of the bridges between Hartford and Carlisle, it seems like, all summer long. And she even said, wouldn't it be easier just to blow up the old bridge and build a new one? And I don't really know the answer to that. I'm sure that they are doing the wisest thing, but it's also like, what is taking so long? You've been working on this for four months. Yeah. Yeah. I've been driving through that too. And and that's the other thing too, how, how hypocritical we are when it comes to road construction. We bitch about the bridges and the roads not being in good shape, but when they actually do something about it, <laughs> that gets us even more pissed off because the road's closed and we got to take another route. Well, it just amazes me. Those uh, guys are just working up there. There's still one lane. What are we whining about? There's still a lane. Yeah, it's still very easy to get through. But you might have to go, you know, 10 miles an hour slower. You can't go 70. You can go 55 or 60. Yeah, we're going to complain because we lose 3.2 <laughs> seconds on exactly. our way to Des Moines. Right. But that's just the way it goes. So be safe out there. I do know that my sister, she still lives in the Cedar Rapids area. She doesn't want to come down to Knoxville to visit specifically because of the mile-long bridge over Lake Red Rock. When was that built? Like 1966 or something? Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's overdue for its official lifespan. And it, I don't think they've done really much major work in the past 10 or 15 years. No. Nope. Um, and you can see, just as you're driving across the bridge, crumbled concrete. And I wouldn't even have the guts, I don't think, to look underneath that bridge because I'm sure it doesn't look too sturdy. I've been underneath it, and I'm no bridge expert, but it looks old. Yeah. So yeah, that's just even in our neck of the woods. There's plenty of bridges that need completely redone, basically. From the little village, Iowa Attorney General Brenna Bird is trying to prevent people from getting access to official voting forms such as voter registration forms, absentee ballot request forms, and ballots in any language other than English. In June, a Polk County District Court judge struck down Iowa's English-only restriction on voting materials that had been in place since 2008. In a statement issued last Wednesday, Bird said she is appealing that ruling, claiming the language restriction is necessary to, quote, protect election integrity, end quote. The attorney general did not explain in her statement how enforcing the English-only restriction protects election integrity or why providing people who are uncomfortable reading English with election materials in a language they are proficient in is a danger to Iowa elections. In his decision, Judge Scott Rosenberg said the state's argument that voting materials weren't covered by that exemption, quote, strains credulity. 
He cited the Voting Rights Act of 1965, as well as Iowa's well-established history of accommodating the needs of immigrants who were not fluent in English. Quote, one's ability to participate in the shared experience of democracy is dependent on effective communication, whether it be amongst voters or between the electorate and the state. And Rosenberg continued, Iowa itself has a long history of immigrants, including ones that do not speak English proficiently. In fact, the Constitutional Convention of the State of Iowa in 1857 contemplated such an issue given the large German population in the state at the time. The convention agreed to commission the translation of the Iowa Constitution into German and the printing of 3,000 copies for distribution among the state's German immigrants. Well, you know, all of that's irrelevant. It's all irrelevant. That history, the Constitution, it's all irrelevant. This is just more voter suppression. Yeah. You know, people that are Spanish speakers tend to vote Democratic, and they just want to suppress that, just like they're pulling voting machines out of Atlanta, you know, and putting lots more in rural Georgia. It's just more of the same. So... Logic is relevant, Spencer. You gave us all those facts. That doesn't doesn't matter. (laughs) History doesn't matter. They're rewriting everything. It's interesting, too, because when I was going through 2008, Tom Vilsack was the governor that actually signed that into law. He did it because he was afraid that if he didn't, he would get pushback from a lot of xenophobic Iowans, to put it plainly. And he said that was one of his major regrets of his governorship. It almost made him not want to run for governor again because he was so embarrassed by signing that law. Well, I remember when he did it, and if he was embarrassed about it, he didn't talk about it. It just sort of happened. I was surprised it happened, given knowledge of history and the different groups that have been allowed to vote forever. But, you know, he just, I guess he thought he was going to lose the election. And that was the beginning of this anti-immigration swell. George W. Bush kind of started that in the Republican Party, being hardline on immigration, and especially against Mexican and South American immigration. And that's continued and gotten even worse as the years have gone on. Right. And this is a tactic to get regular folks mad at immigrants. This is the tactic of the wealthy to get the regular folks mad at immigrants rather than at the structural problems that the, that the distribution of wealth flowing upstream is is the real problem. And it's the same kind of thing they put after uh, the Civil War. They pitted poor blacks against poor whites, and it wasn't the plantation owners that were the problem. It was the getting the poor whites to hate the poor blacks. And it's pretty flimsy to say this is about election integrity. Right. It's nonsense. It is nonsense. But people, but Republicans hear it and think, oh, okay. Well, I like Got to keep our elections integrity. safe. Yeah, you know, we can't have all these foreign voters like that happened in their minds in 2020 against President Trump. You know, anything to do with, with elections, they have to put on this basically fake bullcrap that our elections are under threat and we got to watch out for the immigrants. Right. And it almost... You know, packages two of their main talking points into one, anti-immigration and quote-unquote election integrity. Right, yeah. No. And if what DeSantis put together this, you know, whole force to investigate voter uh, fraud in Florida, and he had to disband it because they found so little, and most of them were Trump's neighbors next to Mar-a-Lago, <laughs> right. where the Republicans were the ones that were caught, you know, voting, you know, for their dead mom or something. So this is from casinos.com. I don't even know if much of this is even 
really accurate. Not a reliable source. <laughs> I know, casinos.com. And I literally got it as a spam email. So, But I was putting together the agenda, and I got this through, and I thought it was just kind of interesting. I'll just mention. So the research revealed the following for Iowa residents. The luckiest color for Iowans is purple, which I was a little bit surprised by. Nationwide, blue is the luckiest color. So I was a little bit surprised that Iowa would pick purple as the lucky color. Seven is the lucky number, and that's true nationwide, not a surprise there. August is the luckiest month of the year, according to Iowans. Boy, I don't know. <laughs> um, purple, you know, that's the color of royalty. Yeah. I mean, in, in part because it was so rare in nature, it was hard to replicate, it was very expensive oh, during the 14, 1500s to pull together, you know. So that makes sort of sense that purple... Um, I like blue myself. I have all kinds of thoughts about numbers. I don't think that you've, we've ever talked about it, but I have a value for every number, whether it's a good number or not, whether I like it or not. Okay. Well, here, I want to hear that for a second because that's interesting. But I did also want to mention this is episode number 24 of the Iowa Revolution podcast, and 24 is my lucky number. How did you decide that? It was my dad's jersey number when he was growing up playing football basketball etc and then both my sister and i wore number 24 in a lot of different sports i couldn't always wear it just depending on what sport it was because you can't be a number 24 and be because i played quarterback in high school so i was number eight which was a divisible into 24 but yeah basically it was my dad's lucky number so well if it was your lucky number i don't think it was your lucky number because you're not playing quarterback in the NFL. If it was a lucky number, you'd be, you know... That's true. ...a quarterback in the NFL. But uh, that's the thing. I had to wear number eight. So that's why I got screwed. Oh, okay. So I mean, I guess I could have worn number 24, but that's just not generally a quarterback number. Usually it's one between 1 and 19 is a quarterback number. Yeah. Yeah, And also in basketball, you can't be... Um, number eight because you can only be at least up until college in NBA you can be any number but you may not know that you can only be a number up to five so in college basketball you'll never see a number eight a number 29 a number 73 and the reason is because when referees call in a foul they use both hands so if your number is 15 one will say one hand will have the number one and the other hand will have the number five. So it gets kind of confusing if you have to say three and then hold up two hands again to say 38. Interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. Now you do. Yep. So what are your, what's your luckiest number then? Well, I don't have a lucky number. I just have feelings about numbers. I can just start counting them. I mean, I like number one okay, two's okay. Three, I sort of like. Four, not really at all. I like five a lot. Six is good. Seven, not so much. I like eight. Nine, not so much. Ten is good. Eleven is really good. Twelve is okay. Thirteen is okay. Fourteen, not so much. Fifteen is really good. What do you have against fours? I don't know. I don't know. You don't like four and you don't like fourteen. How about twenty-four? Twenty-four is fine. Okay. Forty-four is fine. Four hundred and forty-four. But it's just I have a feeling about numbers. I tend to like odd numbers better than even. But yeah, I like the symmetry of odd numbers. Yeah. But it's it's there's no logic to it. There's no nothing to it. It's just a gut feeling I have. Do you have a lucky day of the week? 
Lucky day of the week. Every day of the week <laughs> is lucky. Well, according to Iowans on casinos.com, Saturday is the luckiest day of the week. Friday is nationwide. And jeans are our lucky item of clothing, which is so Iowan. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Anything other number-wise? First of all, do you gamble much? I don't think of you as, as much of a gambler. Um, I don't gamble much. When my dad uh, was still alive, he liked to gamble, and so we'd go up to Prairie Meadows and meet for breakfast with a buddy. Uh, occasionally, I'll still go with my buddy, but it's more about breakfast and chatting <laughs> and catching up somebody I've known since elementary school. And that's just a nice... You need a place when you're going to hang out for hours with your buddy on a Saturday or Sunday morning, that won't kick you out. I mean, you can't yeah. sit at a restaurant for very long exactly. without him kicking you out. The casino, you can sit forever. You know I mean, That's a good point. Yeah, have I guess, six cups of coffee and... Yeah, I guess we could go to the airport or bus station, too. <laughs> that doesn't sound as exciting no, we don't as have a casino. We don't gamble a lot, but... That's what we tell our wives anyway. I was going to say, publicly, yeah. not gambling. Let's get into some caucus talk, caucus news this week. Wanted to lead it off by saying the latest Republican average in national polls, this is from 538.com, Trump is at 53%, DeSantis is at 13%, Ramaswamy is at 7%, and Nikki Haley is at 5.6%. Interestingly enough, Mike Pence is behind Nikki Haley now. Tim Scott is, and these are national polls, not Iowa polls. He's at like 4.3%. So Tim Scott, I think that debate performance didn't really help him much. No, and he's not. He's gotten very tiring. It's the same old stuff every time. He's not spicing it up. He's not putting together anything different than it. He's not differentiating himself from other people. So, you know, why? So... If, if I were his campaign manager, believe it or not, he would be doing better. I don't know what they're doing with him. It's, I do believe you, by the way. Nikki Haley should be here, too, after her debate performance. Yeah. Um, I've seen Ramaswamy at a few different events. I know he was at the Iowa Machine Shed. Uh, Fox News was actually there. Ainsley Earhart was hosting Fox and Friends or whatever her show is, and Ramaswamy was there. They were tasting cinnamon rolls from the Machine Shed. So he's doing a good job of retail politics. I mean, he is owning the state of Iowa right now, it seems. And he's joyful. Yeah. As much as I disagree with him, he's at least having fun. Right. Yeah. yeah, everybody else seems like they're even DeSantis seems just joyless. I don't think he is capable of joy or yeah. empathy or anything. So. No, he's an odd bird. So I mentioned that right off we right after we got done recording the podcast last week, we found out that Trump and all these other Republican nominees were gonna be at the Cyhawk game. So Trump, DeSantis, and Asa Hutchinson did attend the Cyhawk game on Saturday, and you probably saw many people saw one of the biggest viral pictures so far in the campaign, Trump was flipped off by a bunch of fans in the Jack Trice Stadium. He was up in a in a you know like the press box in a suite, and a whole bunch of Iowa State fans giving him the double bird. Well, the one that I'm thinking of was the big Iowa State fan doing that, and Trump framed so perfectly. It looks like a fake to me. It just looks like a fake. I think it's real, because I've seen two different angles of it and okay. i think it's yeah i think it's, it's just too perfect but if you've seen two angles yeah we'll go for it but 
No, good. A lot of people probably wanted to flip him the bird. What a terrible game, though. Yeah, it was. Awful. In fact, Saturday was me and Jesse's seventh anniversary of, of dating, and we left, like, right after halftime. Because if we hadn't left, we went to go out to eat in Des Moines and did a little bit of shopping and stuff. And, yeah, I was like, I'm going to fall asleep <laughs> if we don't leave right now. So I missed half of the Iowa-Iowa State game to go out to eat, which I never would have done in my previous 39 years of being an Iowa fan. But I'm I'm getting pretty fed up with how, especially the offense, is looking. Yeah, it's terrible. The first quarter was okay. The last quarter was okay. But that yeah. was it. So DeSantis also was there at the game. And interestingly enough, I saw one picture. He was with uh, Marionette Miller-Meeks, who is our representative in the U.S. House. And he was also supposedly there. I haven't seen any pictures, but he supposedly was there basically watching the game with Kim Reynolds. Yeah, I've seen photos. He was there with her. So that's an endorsement. Exactly. She hasn't come out and officially endorsed him. But if you're going to go to the Cyhawk game with other people that are running against Ron DeSantis and you pick him to attend the game with, that's an endorsement. Right. Absolutely. This is from Reuters, and this just came through today. Republican U.S. House of Representatives Speaker Kevin McCarthy on Tuesday today launched an impeachment inquiry into Joe Biden, propelling Congress toward a contentious and unlikely to succeed effort to remove the Democratic president that follows two impeachments of former President Donald Trump. McCarthy's move set the stage for months of divisive House hearings that could distract from congressional efforts to avoid a government shutdown and could supercharge the 2024 presidential race in which Trump hopes to avenge his 2020 election loss to Biden and win back the White House. Yeah, did you see John Fetterman's reaction? Yeah, I did. <laughs> Ooh, yeah, oh, I'm scared. Ellen McCarthy did it without a vote. I mean, that's unprecedented as far as I know. He and Matt Gates is already pushing back, basically saying he's not going hard enough. But over this, McCarthy might lose his speakership. Yeah. Well, and, and they mentioned the government shutdown. That's coming possibly at the end of this month. So you're going to try to balance that with an impeachment inquiry? Why? Well, you're presuming that there's some kind of competence in the house under McCarthy. It's just it's so it's such a disaster. There's I don't see how he does you know what he does at all. So it's just a mess. Gates, I mean, what a what a joke. And I'm fine with investigations and all that sort of stuff. But you've been investigating for his entire presidency and before that. Yeah. And hell this goes back to why Donald Trump was impeached because he wanted the quote unquote dirt on Hunter Biden and his dad. He was trying to basically blackmail the Ukrainian president for funds for their defense on getting this quote-unquote dirt. And we're still here. And nothing has come of it. You hear a bunch of crazy conspiracy things and like trying to connect tertiary dots, but there is no actual proof that President Joe Biden was aware of any of this. I mean, Hunter Biden, whatever. I mean, you well, can lock him up for the rest of his life for all I care. I don't really care about Hunter Biden, and I don't, I don't really know. I don't think anybody really cares about Hunter Biden. Yeah. Well, and didn't Hunter Biden's business partner say that President Biden didn't know what they were doing? Right. But the fact of the matter is, it's ridiculous. There's no way that Hunter Biden 
would have had that relationship with the oligarchs in Ukraine unless his if his last name was Smith. Sure. I mean, it's just ridiculous. And it, and but you know that kind of thing goes on you know all of the time. Lindsey Graham getting all kinds of money from China and other places, and you know the Trumps getting you know scamming all kinds of billions of dollars out of Saudi Arabia and China and and the Biden situation. It might not be as much money involved, but it's still not okay. There's just something fundamentally wrong with the system. One thing why I think Ramaswamy has a good chance, it's best right now to be running with children that are under the age of 18 because you can't touch, you couldn't touch the Obama girls. I know the Republicans tried to, you know, ooh, she got caught smoking out of a bong in her college dorm room. But when he was running the first time, they were preteen girls, so they there still is no said bad things about. I know, but I'm just saying they're in terms of in, international investigations or intrigue. They're too young. Right. You know, True. you know what I mean. My point is that if you have older children, inevitably, if you have multiple children, one of them is going to be a dumbass and do stupid things. Yeah, but Republicans have been attacking the children of Democratic presidents as. I remember Amy Carter, what they did yeah. with her. I mean, it Chelsea was just, Clinton yeah. was, I mean, it was awful when you yeah. go back and look at the, some of the things yeah, that they said about they, her. Yeah, they have no morality, no empathy, no understanding. They're just, cruelty is part, part of the game for them and picking on children. Yeah, so. Any other caucus news this week? We mentioned last week that other than the Cyhawk game, it didn't seem like anybody had anything really major set up in terms of campaign rallies. We know that Ramaswamy has been around the state at different events, but again, I haven't really been able to find a whole lot of. Well, there's a big, you know, thing happening in a week or so in Des Moines, faith and freedom kind of thing going on. So that's <laughs> that's the next. Yeah, and there'll be absolutely nothing new. The same old crap. Yeah, so I might not even go to that. I think you're absolutely spot on what you said last week, too, that that half of these people need to get out of the race. Yeah. I mean, the people that I didn't mention, the top four in the poll are who you mentioned should stay in last time. Trump, just because he has to. He's 53%. But DeSantis, Ramaswamy, Nikki Haley. You said Nikki Haley or Tim Scott. It just kind of depends on who makes it out of South Carolina. It looks like Nikki Haley at least has the leg up right now. And that's it. Mike Pence, get the hell out of here. Asa Hutchinson seemed like a nice guy, but you have no shot in hell. Just get the hell out. Yeah, he's he's like a time traveler, you know, since the Eisenhower administration, Hutchinson is. Right. Yeah. Old school Republican. Yeah. Somebody that neither you or I would probably agree with, but we can at least be agreeable with. Well, and I'm sure he wandered the... Uh, the stands at uh, the game and nobody recognized <laughs> Seriously. him. Same for Burgum. Yeah, he was there too. That's right. Limping along on his broken ankle or whatever he's got. Sprained ankle. <laughs> oh, my God. Go Speaking of sprained ankles, did you see Aaron Rodgers is out for the rest of the season? Don't care. Okay. <laughs> I just, <laughs> I think that's sad. I mean, I just wanted to poke funny a little bit. I mean, he's old. It's going to happen. It's tough because he is 39 years old, just went to a new team, and literally four plays as a New York Jet, and Achilles Yeah, no, that's too bad, but I always sort of liked him until he got stupid about COVID. Same. I mean, I I am a Packers fan, so I loved Aaron Rodgers, but 
they're the last couple of years with the, him saying he was quote unquote immunized and lying about yeah, him being lying. vaccinated. Don't lie. Right. That's the thing. That's the biggest thing. It's like if you don't believe in it or whatever, just say that. Right. But when you lie to everybody, including your teammates, yeah. you're gonna you deserve whatever pushback you get. So And a quarterback is supposed to be in a leadership position. Yeah. So when they do things that are not what a leader should do, they deserve to be made fun of. So let's take a wider scope. This is from Sky News. A frightening new real estate venture has hit the market just in time for the upcoming spooky season. Yes, the house from the beloved horror film Halloween is for sale, and it could be yours, Dr. Bob, for a paltry $1.8 million. The large property is in South Pasadena, Los Angeles, Made famous in the 1978 film about murderous escape mental patient Michael Myers, the slasher flick notably features Jamie Lee Curtis sitting on the front porch holding a pumpkin, a scene any new owners of the house could presumably recreate with their own pumpkin. $1.8 million. Wow, does that come with a proof of purchase and historical authenticity? I would hope so. Because yeah. then you could even charge admission, maybe make a little bit of that money back. Yeah. Turn it into like a Halloween museum. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm, my head is full. I don't need to put that in it. My brain only has so much space. I'm just gonna. Re- I'm just gonna not remember this little segment of the pod because I don't need that. Have you ever seen Halloween? Yeah. What'd you think of it? I think uh, she's a great actress. I she think is. she did a good job. I'm not a huge fan of the original Halloween just because it's not all that scary. I guess it's just sort of not aged as well. But Jesse and I just watched Halloween Ends, which is the latest, the end of the latest trilogy with Jamie Lee Curtis. And those movies were awesome. All three of the new trilogy movies. And Halloween Ends is really, really good. Because it's scary. Scary and it's sort of, yeah. And there isn't a whole bunch of jump scares or what you would call maybe fake scares. It really does a good job of building the tension all the way through the movie. Where you Obviously, it's a Halloween movie. You know something bad's going to happen. But it sort of flips it around and, and brings in a new era, too. So, As frightening as a new uh, Trump administration? No. Not nearly. <laughs> no. That is spooky season. If he gets reelected, we are truly entering spooky season. Are we ready for the top five? Sure. All right. These are the top five Iowa governors. Last week, you told me to come up with the top five Iowa governors, and I gladly obliged. I actually did a decent amount of research on this. So we'll start off with number five, Harold Hughes. Yeah, tell us about Harold. He was a Democrat from 1963 to 1969 is when he served as governor. In 1952, after years as an alcoholic, Hughes attempted suicide. He described in his book how he climbed into a bathtub to make the mess easier to clean up. He had a shotgun with him in the bathtub, ready to pull the trigger when he cried out to God for help. He had a spiritual experience that changed the course of his life. He began to pray and study the Bible diligently and even considered a career in the ministry. He also embraced the Alcoholics Anonymous program of recovery and started an AA group in Ida Grove, Iowa in 1955. 
1964 bid for re-election as governor, Hugh's opponent, Evan Holtman, called attention to Hugh's brief relapse into alcohol, uh, alcoholism in 1954. In a debate, Holtman charged that Hugh's failure to acknowledge the relapse publicly showed that Hughes lacked integrity. Hughes responded, I love this, quote, I am an alcoholic and will be until the day I die. But with God's help, I'll never touch a drop of alcohol again. Now, can we talk about the issues of this campaign, end quote. According to the Des Moines Register, the reaction of the crowd was immediate and nearly unanimous. Later, the Register editorialized, in our opinion, any man or woman who wins that battle and successfully puts the pieces of his or her life back together deserves commendation, not censure. Hughes won by a landslide. Yeah. Um, he was uh, really incredible. It was inspirational. That story was common knowledge. And, and it was inspirational in part because it was like, no matter how bad your life might be, whatever you do, that you can rise above the occasion. And right. he laid it out, and I don't know, people loved him. And he, there for a while, he was considered a dark horse candidate for president in he 68. Was, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I remember that. I thought that would be cool. I mean, he people just loved him. He was in the Senate for a while. He, he was, was, yep. He actually didn't run again in 1969. Yeah, that was his last year serving because he did enter the U.S. Senate. So he was a very, very popular politician, not only in this state, but as you said, caught some nationwide attention too. High school education, truck driver. Yeah. Another inspiring story. Yeah, no kidding. Number four is Albert B. Cummins. Republican. He served from 1902 to 1908. He was the 18th governor of Iowa, elected to three consecutive terms, and a U.S. senator for Iowa, serving for 18 years. Cummins was a leader of the progressive movement in Washington and in Iowa. He fought to break up monopolies. Cummins' success included establishing the direct primary to allow voters to select candidates instead of bosses, outlawing free railroad passes for politicians, imposing a two-cent street railway maximum fare, and abolishing corporate campaign contributions. He tried with less success to lower the high protective tariff in Washington. Boy, we could use him now. No shit. Yeah, pretty remarkable. I really didn't know much about him. I mean, I'd heard or I'd read some things about him, but yeah, it sounds this antitrust stuff we really need. And Right. Yeah. Number three is Robert Ray. You probably are a little bit more familiar with Robert Ray. You were alive during, well, all of his term. He served from 1969 to 1983. Yeah, no, he was a... Governor while I was in high school. It was, I don't know, what he did on immigration was path-breaking, and, and he did it because he knew not helping these people was fundamentally wrong. That we have all these blessings, all these resources, and to walk away and not help the people in Southeast Asia after the war was wrong. And now, so many Republicans don't care. You know, just build the wall. No. David Ullman, who was his chief of staff, is a friend of mine. And David and I, with Christy, wrote a piece for the New York Times about immigration and, and used uh, Ray. This was just a few months ago. We used Ray as an example. Huh. As it was heroic. And people, a lot of people don't know that he received opposition at the time. But he went, you know. A lot of opposition, yeah. yeah. From both sides, Democrats and Republicans, he was a Republican. Yeah. 
but you know he managed to uh, you know to make it happen and now you know the kids and grandkids of those people that came over are now you know just remarkable people contributing to society and they make our you know, make Iowa a better place for sure and then so yeah he was a great governor number two I'm a little biased because I graduated from Kirkwood Samuel Kirkwood he's a Republican served from 1860 to 1864 and again from 1876 to 1877 you know much about Samuel Kirkwood no he was one of Iowa's two Civil War governors um, he was I mean both he and uh, William Milo Stone, who was from Knoxville. Spoiler alert! They were Civil War <laughs> governors, and they did a, a great job. And they had a hard time, you know, recruiting. I mean, after everybody at the beginning of a war, a lot of the young men are, you know, gun, gun yeah, wa- right. wanting to go. And at the end of the war, not so much. Right. But no, he was a, a great governor. Yeah, in 1859, Kirkwood was nominated for governor and defeated Augustus C. Dodge after a bitter campaign which focused on the slavery issue. In 1860, Kirkwood's first year in office, the John Brown raid on Harper's Ferry further polarized the nation over slavery, and Kirkwood was clearly on the side of the militant abolitionists. When Barclay Coppock, a youth from Springdale, who was part of Brown's raid, fled to Iowa, Kirkwood refused to accept extradition papers for him from Virginia and allowed Coppock to escape. During the Civil War, Kirkwood uh, gained national attention for his extraordinary efforts to secure soldiers and supplies from Iowa for the Union Army, a strong supporter of President Abraham Lincoln's policies during the American Civil War. He was active in raising and equipping dozens of regiments for the Union Army. Great work, and I don't know, we were just really lucky to have those two Civil War governors and uh, the... um, the main role I want, the main thing I want to get across about Stone, he's buried here at Graceland Cemetery, by the way. But well, let's go ahead and just—he is number one. He is number one. We are biased a little bit because he is from Knoxville, and as you said, he's buried right here in this town. Right, and he led the Iowa Twenty Second. He well, there were a lot of battles they were in, including Shiloh, Blue Mills, uh, a lot of them. He was a, a prisoner of war. And was yeah, was captured and and was sent to negotiate a prisoner exchange. And the Confederates told him, "Now, if the Union doesn't agree to this prisoner exchange, you have to come back." And they didn't agree. And he came back. Right. And he, you know, he didn't have to, but he made a promise for his men. And apparently, he was pretty good at keeping uh, hopes high while they were all in prison. Um, he got out and he led the Iowa Twenty Second, which is a regiment out of Iowa City, and they broke the back of the Confederacy at Vicksburg. So without a man from Knoxville, well, first, Abraham Lincoln might not have been president. That's right. Because he nominated him on the floor of the, of the 1860 Republican Convention. But the East Coast historians don't tell it this way, but I've talked to historians that will. But that it was the Iowa 22nd was the only regiment to break through the lines of the Confederacy at Vicksburg. And as a side note, um, Governor Branstad and is a history buff, former Governor Branstad, and he knew I knew a lot about Governor Stone, and, and Branstad went to Vicksburg for a dedication for the Iowa 22nd for, you know, an anniversary. And uh, I pulled together some notes for him, and so that was, you know, really nice that he was able to go and 
and uh, share that story. So without Iowa, Abraham Lincoln wouldn't have been a president, and uh, who knows what would have happened in the Civil War. What a great story. William Milo Stone. That's right. From Knoxville, Republican. Three of the top five are Republicans, by the way. Obviously a much different Republican Party back in the 1800s and early 1900s. Yep, very progressive. Very much so. By the way, there's also a, a... Some sources say that William Milo Stone was with Abraham Lincoln when he was assassinated. Yeah, I have a... It's unsubstantiated, yeah. but there is sort of a rumor that he was there and that he actually helped carry Lincoln from the Ford's Theater across the street, which I've been to Washington, D.C., and have done that tour and gone to Ford's Theater, and they even have the museum set up where they have the bloody pillow that he was resting on, etc. But they say that he was actually carried across by some Philadelphia soldiers, or, yeah, an artillery regiment is who actually had handled the president after he was shot. Well, one of the interesting things, I've done a lot of research into Stone, and I found that a guy from Philadelphia, a composer, composed something called the William Milo Stone March. Cool. And so it's in the Smithsonian, and there's a new band teacher this year at Knoxville, and I gave him the sheet music for it, and he's he's creating it. You know, he's, you know, looking and seeing what it was. It was a different kind of march in, you know, in the 1860s. Right because we didn't have the John Philip Sousa kind of marches yet. So right. it's an early kind of march. And so he's going to get some kids to play it, you know, at awesome. one of the concerts. Very cool. Yeah. That's awesome. Also, one other note, uh, one last note. On February 22nd, 1866, Stone appointed Emily Calkin Stebbins as a notary public, which made Stebbins the first such woman to hold that position in the U.S. It's also progressive in terms of women's rights. Yeah, can you imagine saying, no, young lady, you can't be a notary public <laughs> right. for a woman. Yeah. Can you imagine? So backwards. Yeah. But thank you, William Milo Stone, for yes. paving the way. Yes. So anybody that I missed? Governors, those were my top ones. And, you know, just a real... I was so young when uh, Hughes was in office. Right. I mean, so his inspiration to me, you know, is like a five-year-old or something. I was going to say, yeah, you were like nine years old by the time he was done, you know, with his uh, term, so. Yeah, and we spoke with, you know, we'd learn about him and talk about him in elementary school. Right. And so, yeah, it was a great story. Yeah, we've had a lot of good governors. I told you before we even started recording, it was sort of depressing going back and looking at all these different progressive, even though they were Republican, uh, progressive governors in the state of Iowa that did a lot of firsts for people of color, for women. And now it just seems like we're the complete opposite. We just have the completely different 180 viewpoint on how to govern. Right. And the Democratic governors and that, and since Robert Ray haven't been great either. I was going to say, Culver and Vilsack were the only Democrats since I've been alive. And I can't think of one thing that either one of them did that was noteworthy can you think vision, vision iowa stuff that that's true affected. yeah culver no culver was culver never came he liked to culver was lazy i remember i may have said this on the pod before but one of my good friends Corey, from where i grew up in marion even back then said never trust a guy named chet <laughs> <laughs> and he was right he was right that and thad 
Chet and Thad. Never never trust a Chet or a Thad. Chets don't bother me. Thads, that's worth thinking about. <laughs> so what's next? What's next week's top five? I think we should do top five. You should do it. I'll have some ideas. Top five bands with some tie to Iowa. Don't have to all be from Iowa, but okay. some tie. Cool. How's that? Sounds perfect. Sounds interesting. Yeah, something to look into. Yeah, I've got some that... The number one, even it's not a band, but Andy Williams is the first person that I think of in music when it comes to... And then obviously, um, the music man, um, his name is escaping me right now. He wrote... Uh, Meredith Wilson Yeah. also wrote the University of Iowa fight song. Yeah. Also not really a band, you know, just he was oh, a we composer. Can use it. Yeah, we can use it. We can be flexible with it. So musical artists or bands? Yeah. Do you want a hint? Of one, what you're thinking of? of one of one of them? Yeah. Mason Prophet. Never heard of him. No. Should I have? When I was in high school, they were pretty popular from Iowa. I attended a concert. Okay. Yeah, so. so the name of the band is Mason Prophet? Yeah. Unless I'm misremembering. Yeah. I've yeah, never heard of Mason Prophet before. Yeah, well... Maybe we'll have to play something. That's true. Although, nah, we got to get around the fair use stuff, and we're not allowed to play They're music dead. pods. <laughs> They're dead. Who knows? They might have a nasty estate that is real finicky about that. Well, you can listen. Trust me, I wish we could play music. If we could play music, I'd play music all the time on this podcast. All sorts of different kinds of stuff. But, yeah. Maybe I'll hum. That would be a good workaround. <laughs> Actually, yeah, that would be perfect. Uh, so, yeah. I won't sing. I won't hum either. Anything else to note uh, from the past week or the week ahead? Obviously, again, you've got the Okaboji Writers Retreat next week. Make sure you follow on Substack, Deep Midwest, Politics and Culture, and Cedar Creek Nature Notes. Got some rain recently. Yes. I saw that picture that you had on Instagram of the spider web. Yeah. Uh, just saw that today, which was super cool with the dew yeah. kind of dripping down. That was very cool. So make sure you follow that one as well. And Dr. Bob will say there's no politics. There's no controversy in that one at all. It's just cool bird sounds and cool pictures and descriptions. And you get to see Dr. Bob's dog and <laughs> in his cute little vest to keep him safe. Yeah. Yeah. It's always a good read. So it was, yeah, it's been good. Seeing the crick, you know, with some water. And it was Filling good. back up yeah. a little bit. Yeah, for sure. All right, well, yeah, that'll do it for episode 24 of the Iowa Revolution podcast. Of course, make sure you follow us on Substack as well. You'll get this emailed to you every Wednesday morning. Again, we will not be with you next Wednesday. Dr. Bob is otherwise committed with a bunch of awesome writers up in Okaboji. Dr. Bob, we'll see you in a couple weeks, and I can't wait to do it again. Yep. Look forward to it.